Considering your state of mind at any rate, do you want to open this episode as I've written, or...? No. <laughs> Alright. She is not in the right mental space that's, to do that's that. That's fine. I will go and do that then. Are we good? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Hello and welcome back to the Undercut Podcast. I am your host, Timo Daily, and we are back to preview this weekend's Spanish Grand Prix. Joining me as ever are my two ever-capable co-hosts, Eddie Mae Taylor and Jesse Billington. How are you two? Good, thanks. Is that it? Is that what you got? Good, thanks. She's so tired. We're both tired. We both spent the weekend down at Brands Hatch enjoying the Masters racing there. We had classic F1, classic GT cars, endurance races, the lot. Very noisy, very tiring. I'm, as ever, when I go to racetracks, especially Brands Hatch, very sun-kissed. My arms are quite peely, is the best way of describing it. But yeah, we're we're doing all right. It's just Bologna fans, and you can go look at it on there. I did offer him suntan lotion as well, and he declined. So he's only got himself to blame. Big idiot hours over here. <sighs> oh dear. Oh, How are well, you, Timo? We'll are you sunburned? Are you tired? What the hell has happened? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, That's because you I'm, just I'm never leave the house. For this. I leave the house. I just don't. You don't... I, I put on sun cream. Yeah, I was going to say that Irish sun doesn't really look like it's sunning. I also don't tan very much either. Just generally, you could leave me out for ages, and I either stay out for too long and cook and burn, or I just don't tan at all. So there's no really any middle ground for me. But that's enough about all of that. We're just going to go straight into what that has happened, which we do have a little bit of news and particularly some quite exciting news, but we're going to have to wait a while to find out how exciting. Because Aston Martin and Honda have partnered up for 2026 for engine power units. And that's just quite nice. I quite like the, the sound of all of that. Rebel and Honda will continue to work together until the end of 2025. And then obviously they'll go and team up with Ford for the new era of Formula One. The head of Honda has said that they'd be more than happy for Alonso to stay with the team for 2026, which is quite interesting. And um, he'd be 44 then, but they've also expressed interest in Yuki being in the team, potentially voting in Alonso Sonoda lineup for 2026, which I also am kind of looking forward to and hope that happens now. And it does leave some questions over Lance Stroll's future and how far Lawrence would be willing to go to win and to keep Honda happy which essentially means that Lance has two years, two and a half years, to really pull some excellent results out of the bag. Otherwise, he might have an awkward conversation with his dad at some point. Um, But Alonso and Yuki does excite me a lot more than Yuki and Lance does. Um, But that also does then mean that with Honda on the grid, we'll have Mercedes, Ford, Ferrari, Renault, Audi and Honda all on the grid in 2026. And if everyone can get the rack together, it could be seven by having Andretti's first Cadillac on the grid too, which would be very exciting. Seven out of 11 teams then would be completely different kind of power units and engine suppliers there, which is just as good as we're going to get really in terms of mixing things up on that side of, of, of Formula One. So I would very much like that. But Adima, you've also got a point to do, wanted to raise about all of this. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to give some analysis on on sort of really why it's good for both sides. I mean, in terms of Aston Martin, I funnily enough said back in our Saudi Arabia preview, when do you think Aston Martin will have to start looking at a new engine supplier? Because that they end up becoming a top-level team and Mercedes turn around and say they don't want to supply them with an engine anymore. And in less than two, three months, they've announced that they're partnering up with Honda. I don't want to say I'm psychic, but this is the third Aston Martin prediction I've had that I've I've seen in less than a year. 
but enough about me showboating about that. Could you this just is... predict Vettel replacing Stroll quickly, just so he can get that done for later? No, yeah. so he's going to sell by Audi, isn't he? Yeah. It's exactly. like Ricardo. I'll search for Ricardo. <laughs> but, yeah, enough about me sort of showboating my psychic abilities. This is huge news for Aston Martin because they now have their own engine manufacturer that they can design an engine and chassis in harmony with each other and not have to build around an engine that they don't know what will look like until it essentially turns up. It is made specifically for them and that is what a championship winning team or a wannabe championship winning team needs. In terms of Honda, obviously they pulled out, they then started getting cold feet because they then started winning. They explored the relationship with Red Bull post-2025, but it, it became too complicated. This now means Honda can stay within F1, and actually the new 2026 engine is far more favourable than it is now. The 2026 V6 internal combustion engine will see a reduction in fuel usage during the, fuel, uh, during the race with 100 kilogram down to 70 kilograms, and it'll be far more powerful than electric components, with the MG UK almost tripling in the amount of electrical power that we can that can be used. And a lot of that comes from the braking energy. The current amount of braking energy collected by the MG UK and the MG UH is 120 kilowatts, whilst the MG UK alone is now going to create 350 kilowatts. The MG UH element is also being banned. So the new engines are not are not going to have um so the new engines are not only going to have far more emphasis on the electrical side of things, which Honda favor, but they're going to be much cheaper now to build. Um, now that the MGUH is gone and and as well, being an F1, it's such a great marketing tool for a brand that really it's no brainer why Honda wanted to stay and Aston Martin sort of said, well, come under our wing. We've sort of been stealing all of Red Bull's personnel. Why don't we just take their engine manufacturer as well? Well, obviously, they've now got also the one thing with getting rid of the MGUH. It is one of the most technically challenging parts of the car. Getting rid of that really simplifies the package. So if you're now working closer with your engine provider, like you said, if you're working on a better, easier to work package engine, if you're working on a more simple engine as well, you've got this recipe that's really starting to come together. You've got guys that have worked with Honda previously coming from Red Bull already to the team. You've got all the pieces that are starting to fall in place. It's great. The, the, the whole thing does leave me with two questions, one of which is kind of funny, one of which is kind of serious, but the, first, the serious one is the road-focused one. So much of Aston Martin's road car lineup these days stems from Mercedes DNA. I wonder what it's going to mean for their road cars. They've literally just announced their DB12, which features essentially Mercedes-derived technology underneath it. It's If you get into a modern-day Aston Martin, it's got Mercedes switch gear, Mercedes infographics. The V8 is basically lifted from Mercedes. The only thing they really have is still their in-house V12s, which are sort of reduced size, their sleeve, their turbocharged. They're basically an evolution of the two Mondeo V6s glued together. So it's going to be interesting to see where that technology goes to. If we're going to see a VTEC Aston Martin, Martin in the years to come. I want that. A very efficient V12 VTEC Aston Martin for the road. Yes, please. And thank you very much. What Aston Martin visit when they're working with Red Bull to make the things like the Valkyrie, the Valhalla, all those hypercars for the road, which will be certainly also very interesting for Aston Martin's LMP1 uh, sort of Le Mans endurance series. The more funny one is how long is it going to take for Lance Stroll to simply go, Daddy? I want an IndyCar team because that's, I, I, I don't know, uh, Stroll and Chevrolet, or equally if he does end up somehow partnering with Honda, 
Honda's a big name in IndyCar. We're just going to pump Stroll off to IndyCar if he's not able to keep up with the F1 pace and they really want Sonoda. I kind of would love to see how he could do an IndyCar and for him to do surprisingly well then because it kind of shows that, Lawrence, you haven't wasted all of your time on your son and trying to get him to race and everything. You've just been in the wrong category. Yeah. And it would be quite... Again, we see it with Ericsson and Grosjean are the two kind of main examples. They do pretty well in IndyCar, so maybe you're just in the wrong discipline. Yeah, I mean, lots of F1 drivers transition to IndyCar, not necessarily as a retirement thing, but equally as another series to go and win in. I know Mansell did it for a bit as well, and I know that uh, Villeneuve, Jacques Villeneuve went off and did it as well. So there's this history of drivers doing it. And yeah, I mean, Lonzo's dabbled in it. There's been all sorts of names from F1 go over to IndyCar. But obviously, if Stroll, if Daddy Stroll is able to manufacture and engineer this sort of connection between Aston Martin and Honda. It's also going to possibly give him a foot in the door with a Honda-powered IndyCar team that potentially he can sort of shuffle his son off to and say, off you go, we'll give you a nice IndyCar team, go and enjoy that. Then it means that he can appease Honda and say, okay, we'll have Sonoda. And equally, he can retain Alonso. And you've got a very much homegrown package that knows what both halves of the factory are doing you've got two very good drivers you've got Fernando Alonso world class and Snowder a driver that's really coming on leaps and bounds it's it's so you can be very interesting to see what happens with him over the next couple of years to see if they'd still be interested in that because again kind of waiting in the wings and lurking is Iwasa if you wanted a different mm. Japanese driver in that car so it'll be very interesting to see what happens over the next two and a half years on that front it depends what Honda wants from be... Iwasa or how tightly Red Bull wants to hold on to him that's going to be the real thing as to whether Honda goes we would like Iwasa or if Red Bull goes no he's ours you made a mistake by going away so that that's going to be the sticking point there contracts and how much they mean in Formula 1 mm. It also kind of opens up again a pathway to then try and get the triple crown. So if you've got sort of them in F1, Indy and Le Mans, in that when uh, Fernando Alonso decides he wants to retire in about 10 years' time, he says, just take me back to Indy again and I'll go get my triple crown. Yeah, just he and uh, Stroll swap or something for one weekend in the Honda-powered Stroll Aston Martin, some sort of sponsor's name here, IndyCar team. Because it's always something, something, sponsor's name here, IndyCar team. There's always, yeah. So that would be, it'd be something one to sort of measure up against. A little bit of speculation on what will happen on their that front at the moment, but we've also got a bit of other speculation with regards to Haas, Jesse. Yeah, Haas, uh, it's... The rumour mill is again churning with Haas, which we love it when that happens because it's always something quite wild and interesting. But what that has come out is that Haas and Alfa Romeo have reportedly got some sort of a partnership lined up for the years ahead. Because obviously we've heard Alfa Romeo stepping back from their partnership with Sauber, which obviously opened up when Audi were coming in. So everyone's wondering what Alfa Romeo are going to do moving forwards. They've not had a particularly fruitful time in F1 ever since 1952, really. Um, so it's... It's coming. It's coming. It's, but no, actually, that's being mean about Alfa Romeo. They did have that one podium with um, the Italian fella um, back in the 80s at Caesars Palace. Christ, what was his name? Um you keep talking, but yeah, basically, um, Haas and Alfa Romeo, it's going to be interesting. Think of some funny puns based off of their um, Alfa Romeo in Formula One. I love how he just assumes we're in his head and we know what he's thinking. Uh, just start, you 
deal with it. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang uh, on. No, who it is? It's really bugging me. Yeah, it's uh, in the eighties. Where am I going? Uh, Ricardo Patrese, Eddie Chiva, Andre Cesare, somewhere. Bruno Giacomelli. There we go. It would have probably been one of the last times that Alfa Romeo ever scored a podium. I want to say in Formula One. So yeah, how's how's that for a slice of fried gold? When was the last time they won Le Mans? Alfa Romeo. Mm. Oh, good lord. Um, being You're challenging my Googling history, I mean, Googling ability here. Um, you don't want to challenge your Google history. You my, can my, that. my favorite story about Aston Martin, not, uh, not Aston Martin, uh, Alfa Romeo and Le Mans is when they won it with the fact that they had some mechanical error and they, where they fixed it was they stuck chewing gum on it and then went and won Le Mans. Um, major victories and championships. They won Le Mans in 1931 and 1932. Uh, again, in 30, uh, 33 and 34. Um, and that's it. Back in their day, it just happens to be almost... Their day happens to be pre-war. Yeah. Um, a long, long time ago uh, with things like the 8C and the eight and the 6C. But yeah, um, Bruno Giacomelli is the name I was looking for. So that was probably the last time that they had an F1 podium. Let me just go and check that one uh, while I was at it because that's what I was really getting on about. Um, F Formula 1 results. Uh, yeah, so they had podium at Monza with the Cesaris in 82. Um uh, De Cesaris in 83 got two podiums for them. Uh, bum, 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 bum. Yeah, it was a long, long time ago. Uh, yeah, De Cesaris was the last driver to get a podium for that team. They have not had a podium since. Points, yes. Last podium, uh, Italian Grand Prix 1984 with Andre De Cesaris in the Alfa Romeo 890T. That was when he had one and a half leave to turbocharged V8s. At least he did it in their home Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah. They were also sponsored by Benetton at that point in time, so the really cool Benetton green livery. So there we go. There's your history for this this week's episode. Yeah, I forgot brief- to do my EMT's fun facts for this. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't have time to do them anyway, but I have just remembered that I should have done that. Consider this posthumously a, a EMT's fun fact corner. Yeah. So you can't have them all the time because then they don't feel as special. So we're just sparsing them out throughout the season. That's that's your kind of go-to excuse if you need that at any other point during the year. Not just the fact that I went and had my hair done and then forgot. Well, no, you see, that's why we edit these things out. Yeah. So that's that you scary. have the cover maintained. Yes, I knew as soon as I said that you wouldn't then edit that out. But there we go. I tried anyway. I tried. We mentioned the Indy 500 earlier. I'm just going to touch on it again as well because we had that over the weekend along with Monaco and it was excellent. We had a new winner in Joseph Newgarden just stealing away from Marcus Ericsson towards the end. It's a fantastic weekend racing all in all and Indy 500 in particular deserves a shout out. And the winning team also had a little bit of history itself because one of the mechanics on their team was a woman and it's the first time that a woman has been a mechanic on a winning team at the Indy 500. I can't remember her name. I do apologise for that. Cue Jesse probably furiously Googling um, as he was inevitably going to do whilst I still have a bit of time as he tries to find that out. But 
It was genuinely pretty good race. I mean, you're always a little bit doubtful of the American commentators when they say it's the best racing spectacle in the world, but it was a pretty good race and some suitably kind of controversial moments, some decent crashes, but with everyone being absolutely fine, Kellum Eilot led the Indy 500 for a little bit, not very long, but you can't all say that at some point. And for a driver that's pretty new to Indy, to the grand scheme of things, that's not too bad. And some bizarre kind of pit stop incidents as well. And Alex Pelot still somehow leading the championship there, despite not winning the Indy 500. And with all the points available, Jesse and I were talking about this pre-podcast, it's quite impressive how good Pelot has been doing all season to still be retaining P1 by a sizable gap. He's the only person with above 200 points so far in the championship. And Joe Newgarden, despite winning at Indy, is only in P4 now. Mm. Uh, Joseph Newgarden's left front tyre changer. That's the one. Uh, Penske's Caitlin Brown, first female crew member to uh, win the Indy 500, essentially. And I mean, this year saw a huge amount of sort of female mechanics, strategists. IndyCar is almost sort of leaps ahead of Formula One in the sort of the amount of sort of incredible female talent that we've got. But that's not to sort of sort of poo poo it. I know that Haas, one of their um, tyre mechanics. Visibly, certainly, but I think that's because sort of IndyCar is just sort of a bit more open in the way it does it. F1's a bit more sort of closed doors. But one of the tyre mechanics for Haas, I think um, I'm right in saying, is they've got a female on the team there. I know that Alpine have a huge amount of women working sort of mm-hmm. in the paddock week in, week out. And yeah, it's there's we're approaching this incredible critical mass where we're seeing women come into these fantastic engineering roles, these mechanic roles, these strategy roles that... The time very much is now, and we mentioned it previously when we were talking about when we thought the next um, Triple Crown winner would come and we figured that it was likely going to be a woman, um, that we're sort of reaching this incredible turning point for women in motorsport. And it's it's great to see and really nice to see that getting celebrated as well on a big sort of global stage that people are going, wow, look at these women doing incredible things. And there's this important visibility that says for sort of young girls out there. I could be that less that does that. You've got uh, women doing commentary for IndyCar, proving that they've been out and raced it. Catherine Legg obviously racing in it this year. And historically, there's been other women racing in IndyCar, in NASCAR as well, running in the sort of the, the big leagues there. So it's it's a fantastic time to sort of be stepping into IndyCar roles, endurance roles. Formula One has still got a little bit of a way to go, I think it's fair to say, but we want we want to say that because we want it to do better, but there are other sports and classes where it's worth celebrating the the incredible work that women in these sort of fields of F1 and well, motorsport are doing. So that's a round of applause to them, but certainly a polite Masters Racing golf, uh, golf clap, as it were. Or you can be on a podcast with two guys. And that's not at all strange. Not all heroes wear capes, Eddie, mate. Not all heroes wear capes. Wow. We look after you well-ish sometimes. Mm. we're gonna just stick with jesse there i think i'm just gonna try and smooth over that before jesse shoots himself the foot somehow and spain have a bit of a new track layout that you wanted to remind us about before we dive into weather and on track yeah spain have um i think they announced this a little while ago but it's worth sort of bringing it back to the fore ahead of this weekend spain have always been looking back at the moto gp that's run around the circuit previously and gone hey isn't it great when we see drivers or riders go sort of side by side through the final turn and then onto the main straight why are they able to do that oh yeah we don't have that absolutely piss awful chicane right at the end of the track so maybe it'd be worth added character it did not it ruined racing it and ruined the flow 
it didn't even give you opportunities for a dive bomb because it's such a slow corner. Um, so the fact of the matter is, Spain have got rid of it. They've sort of listened to the furore that it's constantly caused on Twitter and gone, you know what? What if we got rid of it? So we're going to see that ahead of uh, in, in this year's Grand Prix. We've not had any testing in Spain either. So teams are very much coming with this year's car to Spain somewhat blind obviously they've still got years and years and years and years and years and years of data from testing in spain to sort of rely on and lead back on but not with this layout and not with this year's cars so it could be an interesting spanish grand prix i think that's the optimistic way to look at things he says looking forward unless anyone else has got anything to add on the lack of chicane i was just going to say do you think it will help at all because obviously a lot of drivers for sort of not sort of fully push in sector one to then save tyres in sector three because it's such a high degradation track that do you think then with the less braking it might just that little bit of less braking it will help i can see that but it will be yeah you won't be taking quite so much out of your tyres in the third sector which means you'll have a bit more to essentially spend in other areas of the track and yeah we could see some better lineups or drivers certainly going sort of dueling side by side coming through the very fast right-hander. Bikers go side-by-side side through there all the time in the MotoGP series. Uh, they have far less lateral grip through the turns. If you sort of almost sort of more than quadruple that for the Formula 1 cars, amount of traction they're able to utilise, we're almost certainly going to see, hopefully, cars going side-by-side side through that turn, which then gives us the chance for sort of either DRS chicken, it depends where they put the DRS locator. I'm going to need to dig out some paperwork from the FIA to find out where that's going. But I'm going to see cars going side by side for a little bit. And equally, if a driver is able to get a good enough run around the outside from behind and they have DRS, they're going to be able to pull away. But then you'll have the slipstream, you have the toe, you'll have the chance for a dive bomb. It really opens up attacking opportunities and also defending opportunities through the opening stage of that circuit. And if you're, I think the one thing I'm not looking forward to about it is just Red Bull because it just gives them even more of a slingshot to go down the straight. And if they are in a position, it's kind of like, uh, never mind. It really gives them a chance to sort of pull away a bit more. So, um, which we don't need. Yeah, <laughs> it's the opposite of what we want here. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a joke now that they've sort of released um, Las Vegas on F1 2023, the video game. There's mm. been some in-game footage released of it. And that long straight is going to be prime Red Bull territory just to get the RS open and away they go. Um, I can see that potentially Spain is going to be almost a precursor to that. It's going to be interesting to see how the measure is. But bear in mind the speed that Ferrari were able to get out of their car down the long straights of Baku. It's not an open and shut case. But... Yeah, that case has yet to even be looked at. We'll wait and see. Um, crucially, we need to have a look at the weekend ahead and the weather. Um, Friday, Saturday and Sunday are all set to be pretty warm, around the 25 degrees Celsius mark. But there is a 44% chance of rain on the Sunday. It really depends how quickly the current weather system moves through. The system we're currently seeing is actually the rains of the front that swept west from Imola through Monaco and now into Spain. It seems to be picking up pace as it travels and sort of lightens up and is storming over the circuit early this week. So chances are that it will be dry. Though I called Monaco with a low risk of precipitation and that came through. So as ever, we record this on the Monday, the forecast could change by race day, but uh, I should have probably uh, move over Thomas Javanaka. I'm coming in to do the weather forecasting from here on out. Uh, the next bit is 
the on-track battles. It's not so much the weather forecast, but the battle forecast that we're going to look forward to. And this is where things get quite interesting. Mercedes will be looking for some more standardised data coming from Spain. They're going to be looking for some very good clean running in the early FP sessions. And that's going to be vital to how they get their new car, essentially their B-type their car, set up for the weekend. Red Bull are likely, again, to be strong contenders for pretty much everything this weekend with a very high speed car that's able to defend well on the straights and doesn't suffer falls gladly through pretty much any of the style of turns that Spain has got lined up for it. We've got some big sweepers coming through where Red Bull's ability to utilise that ground effect will be important. Ferrari, I reckon, might be able to get a bit closer in qualifying. We saw them able to really challenge away and get some pole positions with Charles Leclerc on the fast streets of Azerbaijan. Hopefully this longer slingshot onto straight will give Charles a bit of a chance to fight back. Maybe not for a championship, but hopefully for some decent points and maybe a podium if we're looking to play some predictions beyond that Jesus, how ambitious are you being uh very i'm also making this up completely on the fly so i'm sort of hyper analyzing numbers flying around in front of my face <laughs> can, can my tell. <laughs> um, but beyond that it's going to be sort of an open field really the alpines are again off the back of monza no monza monaco looking fast but whether that translates to a more traditional circuit is yet to be seen and then it's sort of open season really i think aston martin are going to be one of the few that gets a chance to really shake things up and improve over a fairly sort of uninteresting Azerbaijan for them. I think that's the only other circuit that gives us a, a properly close comparison of potentially um, Bahrain. So, well, it's worth keeping in mind that Asaman did have some trouble in Baku. So as long yeah. as they don't have same said issues, then you yeah. absolutely. I mean, if you want to wind back the clock to the last sort of pucker circuit that we had, that's Bahrain at the start of the season. I was say, it's the last proper racetrack we actually had was Bahrain. And even then, it's a track in the middle of a desert. It's not a racetrack, racetrack, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's kind of, we're somehow in June and we're yeah. going to a racetrack now. Yeah. The hell? The only non-street circuit we've had. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything else has been a street or some roads in a park. And it's, yeah, quite unique in that regard. That nice park. Nice park. park Albert Park. Very nice park. Highly recommend it. Probably quite ranked quite highly on TripAdvisor. But the fact of the matter is, this is our first time back at a circuit circuit since um, Bahrain. So there's a lot to be played for. And I think it will be interesting to see how the order stacks up with the development work that's gone on and indeed any teams that could well be bringing developments to Spain. I don't know of any yet. Again, we record this on Monday. They could sort of get to Wednesday and go, by the way, we've got some new stuff. Cheers. Thanks for letting us know. But anyway, that leads us nicely onto our completely blind predictions. Timo, your pole position prediction, please. I did want to go different with this one, but I just can't see it being anyone other than Max Verstappen, to be honest. It's kind of like we said in the Monaco review. It's we don't know who can beat him at the moment, if anyone can. So I'm just I've got to be consistent with that. And uh, Eddie May has pretty much followed suit by the sounds of it. Yeah, I've gone Max Verstappen. Um, although usually when I put him as my poll prediction, it doesn't usually come true for some reason. So could be, as I said, a Charles Leclerc poll. Any may try to spice things up for us in Spain. It is appreciated. Jesse, who are you going with? Are I'll, go with I'll go with cat prediction. Yeah, I'll go with what I said in my sort of track battle um, sort of garble, and I'll go for a Charles Leclerc poll position. I don't think it's too far out of the out of the reckoning there. Uh, Poetry-wise, I'm in a predicament because do I go 
with what I've been doing all season. Yes. Thanks, Elimay. Great help as always. Um, and go with the result of the last race, or do I try and manifest something? But also, I know what I'm like when I try predicting what I want to happen in Formula One. So mm, I think as as much as it pains me, I will have to go with the result of the last race, which is going to mean I'm probably going to have an awkward weekend for at least one podium position or burn for a cracker. So I'm going to have to go for Verstappen P1, Alonso P2, and, oh dear Lord, help me, Ocon P3. It's either going to be a genius move or it's not going to be. And talking of genius moves, I just want to do a quick shout out to another F1 podcast who I was listening to this morning, Lakeside Drive down in Australia, because one of the hosts got on a $100 bet that Stroll was going to win the Monaco Grand Prix. And obviously that backfired incredibly. But I feel like I'm doing this Ocon prediction in the same kind of vein, although I'm not going to be silly enough and put money on it. Yeah, I mean, you think that Stroll winning the Monaco Grand Prix was a big one. Um, you should it see was. what I've just written down for my podium predictions. Ellie May, your yes, podium predictions. Yes, but you don't want points this year, do you? <laughs> no. Ellie May's podium prediction. You're, you've got a lot more sensible, actually, haven't you? Um, From memory... I've gone Verstappen, Alonso, Perez. That is correct. Correct. She's currently head slumped to the side, eyes closed, exhausted. It's been a busy weekend. Uh, meanwhile, I've gone for Science Gasly Stroll. I've been for podcasts and podcasts now saying Science is going to win his home Grand Prix. Second win for his career. It's coming in Spain. Um, I'm going to stick with my guns. I'm going to stand by it. And uh, yeah, Science win. Gasly, I reckon that Alpine's got some speed to it. Second and stroll third. Science Gasly stroll. stroll, yeah. And I was told I was bonkers for wanting Charles Leclerc to win Monaco. To be fair, you were because that's Charles Leclerc in Monaco, and that's just yeah. silly because he's never going to win that. But at least I got two points from Monaco. Yes, difference is you're trying to get points ish and well intentioned. Jesse is. Trying to just get his own role in the Dark Knight as the Joker and just go for pure chaos. Gasly second. Look, when it happens... Oh, look how she says it crying to me. expecting it's going to make more sense to her. But I want to know the thought process. He doesn't have one. You've met him. Uh... See? <laughs> yeah, there isn't one. I think isn't these three shared a podium before, but in a different order as well. They shared it for the 2020... T Italian Monster. Yeah, where Gasly won, Science Second, yeah, Stroll Science Second Stroll Third. So this is just, just a reworking of that. So no Alonso podium. This is the three. remix. I've been predicting a science win and I'm sticking by my guns. I, I love the fact that you're taking it so seriously, the fact that because he's predicted it, it will happen. You've seen his track record this year. I just if this is the weekend that I do predict correctly. Oh no, I mean God. obviously this will backfire. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, and also it buggers me up a lot for the follow of the Canadian Grand Prix where I have to predict science gasly stroll as a legitimate thing because of my rule. But yeah, but there's a lot of potential at home. I know, but uh, we'll move on. We'll move on because Ellie May's still just kind of confused and I've accidentally melted Ellie May's brain. We'll move on. Fastest lap predictions. Timo, you're going to have to pick a new driver to back until it happens. I know, it's Lewis and George were far too efficient, which uh, I'm kind of happy about on the one hand as a Mercedes fan, but it uh, it ruined the fun a little bit for me. So I'm going to 
go for someone who should have a more difficult time of it just because of the fact that A, he's driving Ferrari, and B, he's driving Ferrari. So Carlos signs, he will get a fastest lap. And to be fair, if he's winning a race, like Jesse says, then he should also get a fastest lap in theory. And yeah, I'm like, I mean, that's that's copying now me. going down on him, not literally, but... <laughs> Yeah. And there's the there's the sting of the podcast, Jesse. Oh Lord, not clipping that one out. That's getting us back <laughs> on sorts of platforms. Um, I'm going to follow Timo on the fastest lap with this one. I reckon Science could. He's just going to be. He, he knows he's got something to prove off the back of a rather rough Monaco, and he's going to be firing all, all six cylinders. Normally, I don't mind people following me into the battle like this, but I'm not sure if this is if this is reassuring. <laughs> yes, you'll you'll you love it, really. Ellie May, you've. Also, I could be gone pretty bonkers. Well, yeah, and I went bonkers before I knew Jesse's. Um, it's hard to know which one's kind of mental. Chasing, like in Monza 2020, but the other way around, Gasly is going to be tra- chasing down signs, and therefore he gets the fastest lap. Wow, we're in for a hell of a Spanish Grand Prix, aren't we, guys? It's going to be a fun one. Wild prediction-wise, though, I'm kind of trying to cover myself off a little bit, but I'm not entirely sure what I'm hoping to achieve at the same time here. Um, I've gone for both Spaniards are on the podium with a third different team on the other step of the podium. How am I going to fit that in the little box on the spreadsheet? Both Spaniards on the podium and... uh. A completely different team that's not podium. Yeah, different team. No, no, doesn't doesn't have to be so one that has a Ferrari on Aston Martin. Just not... Yes, yes, yes. If you want to say it like that and put labels on things, then then sure. I wanted clarification too. So yeah, I was more trying to be vague in how I say it, just so that the increasing likelihood of it happening is is more. Vagueness has never helped me on this podcast. Whenever I've been vague. Jesse's like, no, not giving you the point. Yeah, but when I've been vague, everyone always says, oh, name the eight drivers you think aren't going to do it. And then I name like seven of them and then get the eighth one wrong. And I don't That's get why I'm generally not vague. I'll do it once and then I won't do it for the rest of the season. You've got to do everything in moderation, Jesse. Then we let you get away with it a bit more. Except we won't now that we've said it. Yeah. What is your world prediction going to be anyway? <laughs> Um, Ellie May can say her one first. I haven't thought of one yet, although I'd argue my podium really should be. Um, ooh, Too bad. Ellie May, what's your uh, world prediction? I think my phone has died. That's why I can't look. Um, That's not a world prediction. Yeah. It's neither McLaren's in the points, I'll uh, tell you that much. Has, yeah, in the po- uh, oh, in she generally forgotten. Okay. <laughs> no, I hadn't forgotten. I was going to say, but Jesse beats the punch. Yeah. Yeah, neither McLaren points. Is this just again you kind of not forgiving them still for last year, or is no. there kind of or are we kind of are we past that yet? No, I um <laughs> I am past that. It was more uh I just thought if we're having such a crazy race where you know the Red Bulls have been taken out, um maybe Mercedes style of 2016. Um that somehow there's then sort of carnage midfield when they're trying to sort of keep out of the Red Bulls crashing into each other. 
and both the Clarens are now they get out. Either way, something's going down. Maybe McLaren have an absolutely stunking launch, and they take Red Bulls with them, and then Red Bulls are already kind of taking themselves out a little bit, and it's all just done by turn one. Their brake issues come back. Yeah, it's something's going wrong for McLaren. Basically, flip side of that coin, uh, double has points. That's my wild prediction. And breaks me to ask the question: What have you been smoking, lad? I don't know. I think I've been out in the sun too long. This is like sunstroke or something. Really kicking at this point in time. Send help. I'm, I don't know if we can help you at this point. It's too far. You might be too far gone. I'm not opposed to that. I did well, get not, to not, see... not sending help to Jesse or smoking something. Uh, the Hass points. The Hass double points, okay. I got to see a number 27 car, two number, seven, number 27 cars, on the podium this weekend. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Hasses, though, were they? No, but one of them was American. It was a Chevrolet Corvette. So, I mean, we're, we're close. We've got some of the right aspects lining up there. Was it? Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the 27 Camaro, Chevrolet Camaro, famously a very American car. <laughs> it was. It is. I can vouch for that. <laughs> I think we've actually broken Ellie May. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. On that bombshell, we're just going to leave the predictions episode there, yeah. the pre episode there, I think, for this week. Join us again soon. We'll be reviewing the Spanish Grand Prix and the Feeder Series action from across the weekend. So make sure you've liked, subscribed, and got notifications turned on not to miss anything. In the meantime, Ellie May, before you fall off that chair, where can the people find you? Um, doing the graphics, um, track guides, and wherever I am in terms of car events, I'll post it on the Instagram. Clearance we've genuinely ruined Ellie May. We've broken Ellie May. It's taken us just over a year, but it's it's happened. So lots longer than we thought it would. Jesse, where can the people find you? Um, very good question. Uh, this weekend, you can find me either at Bista Heritage racing a Fiat 124 Sports Spider, or you can find me somewhere between London and Brighton. Um, but in the meantime, you can always find me on social media as at Jesse on Cars on Twitter and Instagram. You can probably find my YouTube channel, which is hopefully going to make a comeback sometime soon with some uh, car content on it about the midget. And um, if not, you can always find me writing for Classic Car Weekly. I've got some interesting bits coming up there. And I think the next issue that comes out has my road test of a Citroen 2CV in it. So that's all very much worth reading. So uh, do that, buy that, read that. Thank you very much. Timo, where can we find you? You can be finding me over on the curbs. Is it fast? The Natural Arts podcast, Alex Rorty, and Instagram, where there is a sleuth of new content across all of those this week. It's a busy old time for me. But that's about all we've got time for. And uh, thank you very much all for listening. We'll be back soon for another episode, and uh, we'll see you again then.